Read along with me if you would, please. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Some of you are thinking, uh-oh, this is a message on tithing. Not really. From everyone who gives it willingly, with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering in which you shall take from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, and badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so you shall make it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Lord God, you have promised that your word is active and alive, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the intents and thoughts of the heart. And God, we recognize that today you have an intent in this room today. You have an intent to speak to every one of us. Every one of us. And so, Lord, don't let anything get in the way of that. We recognize that the burden of communication is upon you. So, Lord, we know you'll speak to us. That will not be in question. So, Lord, bypass and override and overcome every obstacle in communication. Be it whatever language we grew up speaking. Be it whatever cultural barriers. Lord, be it whatever it could be in the language itself. Get through that today so that every one of us could be spoken to individually right where we're at as well as corporately as a family But also, God, we pray that you would not allow us to be the obstacle. So keep our minds, Lord, from going and doing our taxes in our head or whatever it is that we could be derivating off from and diverting to. But Lord, rather today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, minister profoundly that we would have ears that would hear, hearts that would receive, minds that would embrace And Lord, by the power of your spirit and through the vehicle of your word, instruct, correct, rebuke, save, encourage, strengthen, empower. That every one of us would be more thoroughly equipped for every good work you've ordained for us. And I pray that we would have so much fun in your word today. So glorify yourself, we pray. And I thank you for the privilege of this time as we on this communion Sunday prepare to go to your table. We pray that you would profoundly minister now as we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, anoint me by your spirit and with your spirit in and empower me to do your work. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. Now please understand, what we are about to embark on is the most described, the most defined, 
the most detailed item in all of Scripture. Think about how little you know about the physical appearance of Jesus. Think about how little you know about even Jerusalem as a city. Oh, we could, there are some things, but it isn't like you can read the Bible and just close your eyes and think you can walk through the streets. No, and take a ride at the second bagel shop. And yet, if there be one area that God spends chapter after chapter after chapter upon, it's the area of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, by the way, was intended to be mobile. According to, for what it's worth, the book of Hebrews, it tells us in Hebrews 8.1, now, the main thing we're saying is we have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heaven. And then he says by verse 5, when he speaks of the tabernacle or the temple, it serves as a shadow of the heavenly things. In Hebrews 9.24, we read that Christ entered the holy place, made with, not weighed with hands, because those things are copies of the true, but heaven itself. Now, whether you know it or not, it appears as if the more we learn about the tabernacle, the more you're going to know your, your way around heaven. So it's a good thing to learn now. Before we moved to London three, less than three years ago, by God's grace, one of the first things we did was, at least I did, was get a map. Well, not a map of London per se, because that could dizzy you, but a tube map. And it's funny, the first week I was here, I was here with a group of local guys, some pastors from around town, and I said, yeah, I'm going to go take the tube. And one goes, oh, you, we don't call it the tube, we call it the underground. And I'm like, all right, okay. And then the next guy, his buddy says, hey, you want to go and take the tube with me? And I'm like, all right, so that tells me where I'm at with this. This particular text, by the way, is the beginning of our embarking. In chapter 25, God tells us he wants this tent, this beautiful mobile tent that will have a fence around it that is practically transparent, where inside he wants celebration, and he even tells us why he wants this tent built. So for the sake of those who would look for a title, might I say it's found in verse 9 when it says, or verse 8 when it says, Make me a sanctuary. My prayer is before we're done, that would be your cry today to Christ. Make me a sanctuary. This was a place God said, why? That I may dwell among them. I don't know if you've realized this, but... Since Genesis 2, God has never made a home among His people. Since Genesis 2, men have called on the name of God. Men have sacrificed in the name of God. God has interfaced with individuals. But to actually dwell among His people has not happened since the first man and woman. This is a pretty big deal. And can I just say what God wants here, and he says this is so specific, he not only writes it out, he shows him, is that God wants to be in the center of their camp. And until God is in the center of their camp, we will always simply be renegade Egyptian slaves. But the moment that he gets to the center of our camp, we're no longer known by where we came from. And we're now known for who we are in Him. 
Why a tent? Because the wilderness is not your home. It's just where you're passing through. And no matter what wilderness you are going through right now, can I just tell you, it is not your home. You might be there for a while, but you won't be there permanently. And the tent is a tent for a reason. And we're going through this. In chapter 25, we're going to see in just a small portion a bit of the overview. In the next few weeks, by God's grace, the Lord has blessed us with people who are actually working really hard to recreate a few pieces of the furniture, a mock-up of them, so we could kind of get the feeling of what, how big something would look, how what it would look like in some, some degree of it, because our, my heart is for every one of us that we would become the sanctuary that Corinthians tells us when it says that you are the temple of the living God, literally the sanctuary. God wants it to be you. And by the way, He wants it to be you. And just like the tent, y'all supposed to be mobile. You aren't intended to grow roots anywhere but the house of the Lord. And as you do, you become a bit like a banyan tree. You stretch out the roots, or you stretch out the branch, and it drops down and a new tree comes. And that stretches out its branches and drops down and another one comes. And understand, this is what God has desired. From the beginning. When God made man, it was that man and God would dwell together. Now, if I were to ask you, why were you created? You might come up with a lot of things like, I was created to serve God. I was created to worship God. And those things are lovely, but can I say, I genuinely believe you're wrong. And you can disagree and be a Christian, but search it out in the Scripture like everything. I believe you were created to be with God. The difference, listen, everything else is doing. But if I am with God, I'll find myself serving Him. And if I am with God, I'll find myself loving Him. And if I am with God, I'll find myself praising and worshiping Him. But the worst part is, I can praise God and not be with Him. I can actually serve God and not be with Him. I could do all of those things and still rob God of the reason you were created. Do you really think you're like, well, look at, I worshipped all day. I was on my knees and I was doing all this stuff and I was serving and I read and I taught and I did all these things and I pet children and I, and I hugged nuns and I adopted puppies, you know, and I gave cookies to starving people and I was really nice and I gave up my sandwich. But in the end of it all, 1 Corinthians 13 makes clear you could do all of that, but if love really isn't the core of it, it's really nothing. You stand before God and say, look at all the things. Haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we done all these things in your name? And could he still say, I never knew you? Because in the end of it all, it wasn't, I never did that with you, or you never did it for me. It's, do we know each other? Because that's the key here. And you were created to be with him. And in that, God would love to dwell with us. Matter of fact, God is so into you that he wants to be so intimate that when you say yes to him as the gift at the cross, he actually makes his home in you. Can you be any closer than living in a person? You can't get any closer than that. God says he's going to show or he has shown Moses this. In 2540, 2630, 278, uh, Numbers 84, Acts 744, reiterated over and over and over again, God says, I showed this to you. I showed this to you. I didn't just give you some dimensions. I showed this to you. Now, we don't have those blueprints. We don't have those drawings. We don't have those mental images. So we have to work off of what we have on the page. 
Moses, on the other hand, he saw this stuff. We'll read later that God will actually ordain two specific individuals, Bezalel and Nehaliab, who are empowered by God's Holy Spirit to do what they still can't do today. Because the Temple Institute is trying to recreate all of these items, and they still can't seem, for instance, to build the lampstand. Because gold is heavier than it is strong. So when you have, as your measurement, 75 pounds of gold, pure gold, and you're trying to pull these branches out, to this day they still can't do it. And I kid you not, I can show you pictures, because we go to the Temple Institute every time we're in Israel, and one of the things they say is, this is how they get out of it. They have this gigantic thing that's clearly more than 75 pounds of pure gold, and you're like, so how exactly does this work? And they says, well, it's just gold. And I'm like, really? Are you telling me honestly that it's pure gold and there's no other thing in this? Well, there's also brass, but brass is basically nothing. So it's gold-plated nothing that happens to be brass. Well, you can kind of get the idea. That's funny, because if you took a lead or a brass pipe and you hit someone in the head with it and then went to the police and said, I hit him with nothing, what's the deal? I don't think that they're going to buy it. And the whole reason I say that is what they had back in this text is they had the Spirit of God telling them what to do and how to do it. And God has things that scientists still don't understand. You're aware of that, right? So when a scientist says, well, I can't understand God, so God must not exist. The other option, by the way, is you're not smart enough. That is an option you're aware of, right? Now, I don't know about you, but can I just confess, I'm not smart enough to fully understand. God, are you? That tells me you're not delusional. Good. All right. Moses, now let's, just, let's kind of go through something really quick and we're going to get into our text. By chapter 12, we got ready to leave. By chapter 19 of, of Exodus, we have been gone from Egypt for three months. We've now been somewhere shortly thereafter. In those three months, we've watched our enemies consumed at the Red Sea. We've watched the bitter waters made sweet at Mara. We've watched floating or hovering quail and bread fall from heaven at the wilderness of sin. We've watched Moses smite a rock and from that water would gush to give us all water to drink at Meribah. We've watched the Amalekites defeated at the valley of Rephidim. And then we've watched the fire, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day throughout the entire time. And now we've rested at a place called Mount Sinai. And here at Mount Sinai, God has called Moses up and down the hill, if you remember, in chapter 19. He'd gone up the hill and God says, I want to make my people a special treasure. Tell him that. So he goes down and God wants to, and he goes back up and God goes, look it, I would love as well for you to go get ready because I'm going to actually really with glory come upon this mountain. So tell the people to go get ready. So he goes down and he says, all right now, everyone get ready. Take a bath. God's showing up. That, you know, that's kind of the idea here. Get ready. In other words, listen, listen, listen to that. He doesn't say, you know what, just haphazardly drag yourself into church and just see what happens when God shows up. God says, you know, for those of you who actually expect to encounter him there, for those of you who do know him, why don't you actually prep for it a little bit? Could you imagine what would happen to church if, strangely enough, first of all, all the public transportation worked, which we're all aware of is only in a perfect world, but and you actually came on time, and as you came on time, you, uh, but not only came on time, those of you who showed up five minutes before we started, you still aren't here sometimes. We all are like that sometimes. Because you still have all these other things. And it's like somewhere halfway through the, this, the praise, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I'm in church. Now let's get ready. But he's like, look, it, would it, why don't you prep for this? Get ready. All right, Lord, I'm not going there to get clean. I go to you to get clean. I'm going there to say I'm available. How do you want to use me? How do you want to speak to me? And so with that then, 
Moses goes down. He says, all right, you guys, get ready. And then he goes back up the mountain. The guy goes, no, go back down again. And he goes, why? I just told him. Then he goes, get down. All right, okay, okay. So a third time he heads down. And as he heads down, because he's like, God's about to show up, God shows up. So understand, when the Ten Commandments were spoken, Moses was down the hill. Everybody got to hear the Ten Commandments. It wasn't like Moses just heard them privately and he's going to come down and God says, take two tablets and call me in the morning. He's, they're all down there hearing God speak this. And so this is the second time. And then God says, now, Moses, come on up and bring a couple guys with you. Your brother and his two oldest sons. All right, okay. So up he heads. It's his fourth trip up that mountain. And on that fourth trip, he goes, now look it. Build me an altar. Now that we've gotten the law, you need to recognize they're going to break it instantly. So are you. Man is not going to use the law to be perfect. The law is just going to show him he needs mercy. Jesus made that clear in John 8. So with that, let's get to the altar. And the altar won't be at the top of this mountain, so man has to climb to be with God. It's going to be at the bottom of the mountain. Because at the bottom of the mountain, by the way, and Moses doesn't know this yet, but at the bottom of the mountain, the next time you come down, you're going to break tablets right at that same place is a perfect example of the broken law because people are going to be dancing naked around a golden calf. So Moses is up there and we read he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights ultimately, at least on the trip he's on. God had already given him the social law and he'd given that to the people and the people say all that the Lord said we'll do. And now as Moses is up this time, God starts to speak to him. He goes, now this is my heart and everything. I just want to be with you. I want to be among my people. But for that to happen, sacrifice will need to be given. And for that to happen, listen, listen, listen. God says, I want to dwell among you. Right now, I want to dwell among you. And if my God doesn't change, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's the exact image of the Father, there is an unchanging God who never stopped wanting to be with people just because we actually were the people that he knows we are, that we're discovering. But don't miss this. God says, could you ask the people, are you willing? Because in order for me to dwell among you, I'm looking for willing people, giving people that want to give with their hearts. Now, for if, you, if you are new here, I know you probably have a, uh-oh, where are we going? Can I just make this really clear so that I don't have to keep trying to apologize for something that I'm not doing wrong? Look at We have a box in the back you can give if you've ever led financially. We'll never pass a hat here. In the 21 years that we've been doing this, we have never passed a hat, nor ever will. But I'm not going to stop you. And actually, we didn't even, when we first started, we didn't even let people give. And I was rebuked by a pastor friend of mine that says, you are robbing people of being a blessing. Oh, okay. So we have a box you can give in the back. We're not going to check it. I never. I don't even know who gives what. I'll never know who gives what. I only know how much is in there so that I know if we can buy a cable for the PA or whatever. But other than that, just know that. So know that anything we talk about giving, now stop playing that as an excuse and let's talk about what God wants to say here. Scripturally, God says, now look at, I want to dwell among these people, but I'm looking for you to be willing to give. I'm looking for you to be willing to give joyfully with your heart, willingly. And if you're willing to give, I'm willing to dwell. Now here's the problem. Is that if I'm not willing to give, whatever it is, time, resources, or whatever, as we see here, then I'm still living in a very selfish world. And by the way, if I'm living in a very selfish world, how is God going to dwell among me? And even if he did, would I see him? I'd I'd be too busy trying to tell God how to get my will going 
instead of me saying, your will be done. So it sort of makes sense. Last thing as we get into our text. God has already, and this is the key in all of this, God has already detached them from Egypt through His wonders. He's already defeated His enemies through, his li- through the living water through the, as He's closed the water on them. God's already defined them through His Word. And now God wants to dwell with them through their will. He's already removed you from your bondage. He's already defeated the enemy. He's already started to separate you. And at this point now, He says, all right, now I want to make my home in you. Well, that was from the beginning, sure, but it's at this point now we can actually hear it a little bit more clearly. Now understand in Exodus twelve thirty-five and 36, it says that the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, this was with the Passover, and they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. God said, before you leave Egypt, do something really strange. You've been a slave for 400 years. Turn around to the people who beat you and say, hey, got anything you want to give me on my way out? Which one of you thinks that's a normal request? We've been slaves for 400 years. And he says, here's the strange part. They're going to actually give you stuff. So understand, how do a bunch of slaves that have been slaves, former slaves, that have been slaves for four centuries, and God says, I'd like some gold from you. You go, where do slaves have gold from? Because God says, I am going to, listen, I am going to give the enemy, the people that are actually your oppressors, I'm going to give you favor with them, so the only reason you have it in the first place is because God gave it to you. Understand that. So everything that God is asking for, God gave you in the first place. You never earned it. You never climbed the hill to get it. God gave it to you. And now God says, can I have some? And there's some that go, how dare you? And that attitude is mental when you're talking to God who said you were bought at a price. God says, you know what you cost? You cost my son. That's what you cost. That's what it costs to get you. Now, God's not playing guilt trips. But the moment that you actually tell God he can't have what he gave you, So moment, you might want to start checking exactly what kind of God you serve. Because God's like, I gave this to bless. Here's the most amazing thing. That God's going to ask for gold. He doesn't say, everyone who's got gold, I want all of it. He doesn't say that. He says, anyone who is willing, who wants to give with their heart, and we'll talk about that in a second, go ahead and throw up some gold. Here's the most amazing thing. They will do that. They'll do it in 35, and we'll read that in a moment, perhaps. But a few chapters before, those who didn't give God that, well, where does it go? It becomes a golden calf. So there are some that go, I don't know, what am I going to do with this? What are you going to do with gold in the wilderness? Do you really think that there's like a really cool little truck stop somewhere where you can kind of pick up a Fanta? I mean, let's be honest. You're dragging around something. And here's the thing. It's that it's valuable in Egypt. But how do we even know that this is valuable where we're going? 
All we know is because all we've known for four centuries is Egypt. It was valuable there. And God says, by the time we get to Revelation, what's really clear is it's pavement. God's like, this is what I thought of your gold. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm burning rubber on top of it. But in the route, he's like, look, it, I'd like to do something with it instead. And you go, well, God, I don't want to give it to you. And ultimately, can I say, it doesn't become an idol. It was already an idol the moment you said God couldn't have it. Whatever it is. Now, I don't know what that is for you, but we're going to go through these a bit. Because one of the things I always like to ask is, why? <clears throat> why these things? There are 14 things he lists here. Why these? God could have said a lot of other things. And we've got things like badger skins. You think, badgers? Badgers? And they're in the middle of the wilderness. Hey, give me your badger skins. Oh, yeah, I've got a whole... I'll go to the badger skin store and pick up a few. Really? Why these things? Well, follow me on it. I'm sure God's got a plan. So here's where it starts. So it says this then. And the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Speak to the children of Ophel that they bring me an offering. Did you notice, by the way, God did not say, This is what I want you to do. Go and contact those people that are really good at milking people for their money. Notice he didn't say, go, go on TV and get one of those telethons or one of those things where it's like, you know what, if you don't, we're going to go off the air. And, and it's like, you know, go in and go door to door, go door to door with a bucket. Or gather everyone together, and then once you gather everyone together, I want you to pass the bucket once, and then when it's not enough, pass the bucket again, then chain the door and pass it a third time. And then while you're at it, take out your credit card thing, although you teach against using credit, and just tell them they could use their debit because it's a gift of faith. Well, he doesn't say, give me pledges. Go and get pledges from people. He tells them they can come. Did you notice that? It says, listen, listen, speak to the children of all that they bring me an offering. Now, to bring means that all Moses has to do is give opportunity. But can I just say this? When you fall in love, it just doesn't make as big of a deal anymore. My wallet was a really big deal until I fell in love. You know, guys joke about it. Well, my wife spends all my money. It's like, what is my money for anyways? I don't care. It's for the Lord anyways. And here's just the cool thing. The guy looks and he goes, look at anyone. And so Moses has got to gather all the people together and say, listen, everyone, anyone who wants to, you can bring the following things to the Lord as an offering, as a gift to him. But here's the thing. You're not giving anything because you're kind. To be honest, you're giving things because you're just awake. And he goes, everyone who gives, verse, verse 1 as well, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Now listen, you get the idea of something willingly. That means you are not required. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, and I'm not picking on anyone else's business. It's not mine to do. do you, you're aware of the fact we don't have a membership. You're aware of that? We are members of the body of Christ. The Bible makes that clear. Now, you could go to a place where it's like you have, you sign it, but I've learned this, that with memberships often come dues. You know, now maybe not every place does that, but I know people that are like, well, you know, I, I, I'm a member of this particular organization, so I have to give this much money to it. And I'm a member of this church, and I have to give this much money to it. Now look at, let me tell you what Scripture says. Scripture says that everything that you have, God gave you. Everything good, God gave you, and it belongs to Him. Now, that doesn't mean the church owns it. It should be that He owns it. But don't fool yourself for a moment to think, I've tithed, I've given 10% of something, but 90% goes to my vices and God's applauding you for it. According to this, he wants, he wants people that are willing and he wants people that give with their heart. And we'll talk about that in a second. But here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 9.7. Listen to this. So that each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly 
or of necessity because God loves a cheerful giver. Now listen, do I believe that you're called to give? Yes. Do I believe you're called to give to me? That's not my business to know. I believe you're called to give to the Lord. That doesn't have to be here. That can be anywhere. But look, here's the deal. It could be, but listen, let it be something, please hear me, let it be something that lifts up the name of Jesus Christ. Because we have enough things where it's like nice people that coincidentally happen to be Christian. Follow me on these terms for a second. They're terms that I use, and you don't have to use them, but I I do. When someone says something's Christian, I say, is it concertedly Christian or coincidentally Christian? If it's concertedly Christian, that means Jesus is in the front of it. You're going to know they're Christians who did it. You're going to hear about Jesus because of it. Coincidentally means, well, we're a bunch of Christians. We coincidentally happen to be Christians. What we do really isn't about Jesus. It's not about Jesus at all. But coincidentally, we happen to be Christian. And people are like, look, I'm on a mission. Well, what do you do? I'm going to get a job. We used to get this a lot back in, in the States. Oh, you know, we're going to get a job. We're going to work at a donut shop. And I'm like, and this is your mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's called life. Where was the, I'm going to share Jesus in that? Well, we're going to be Christians. Well, what? Did you think you'd stop being a Christian when you worked at a donut shop? But understand, wherever it is, let it be to the glory, to the glory of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God. Well, we hand out blankets to to people who are cold. That's awesome. Do you do it in Jesus' name? Well, we're Christians. That's not what I asked. Do people know that Jesus gave them that blanket? Because this is Jesus' money. This is Jesus' blanket. And I realize if this is Jesus' laptop and this is Jesus' iPad and this is Jesus' car, all of a sudden I make different decisions about what goes, where it goes and, where, and what's on it. And in this, he wants joyful. He wants it willing. And he wants it, and I love this term, with his heart. Now think about what that means. What that means is something else comes with whatever you're going to give. What that means is that I'm not just going to give you a badger skin that I happen to have lying around. I'm going to give you my heart too. Doesn't that mean what it means to give with your heart? What that means is that that's part of the package. In other words, all that you give, if it doesn't include your heart, I don't think the Lord's blessed by that. More than likely, it will be begrudging anyways. And then God says, I don't want that. So you're like, God's like, well... I hope you enjoyed that moment because it's all the reward you're going to get for it. He's like, you might as well have went out and got a pizza with it. At least you would have gotten more joy out of the moment. Now look, at, I know there are people out there and like all the, what they do is they take homeless people out to a meal and they share Jesus with them. Is that given to the Lord? I would say absolutely. Now the reason I say that is is that the Lord is looking, but let me remind you, His ambition in all this is to make a home among you. And if you're busy holding on to other things, is there room? If all you've got is this stuff and you're busy protecting whatever it is, is there room? And I'm not going to apologize anymore about where that goes. It belongs to the Lord. If you belong to Jesus, it all belongs to the Lord. And if it belongs to the Lord, glorify Him with it. There should be no line between secular and sacred. Everything's sacred. You belong to Jesus. You're supposed to be, if the whole idea of this is Jesus is supposed to be the son of your universe and everything else revolves around him. So never play the game with me, please, that, well, there's this thing. This is my ministry that I don't really have, but this is my whatever. Look at whatever you're at, it's your ministry. 
Glorify Jesus in it. And you're like, well, how do I glorify Jesus? I'm stocking shelves at a Sainsbury. Do it better than everyone else. And do it joyfully. And when nobody else wants to work, work. Get up early and be joyful. When the boss says, I need someone for another half hour, do it! And when you do it and they go, what in the world? You let them know. Look, I just want you to know I just love Jesus. When we first moved to the Central Coast, I didn't have a job. I didn't know anybody. So we have a thing called temp agencies. And what that is, is you kind of sign up and say, any job that anyone needs, and I'm going to call you every morning to check, just do it. Now, I want to, I want to warn you, I'll preface it with this. I was a spaz back then. I mean, I had a lot more energy. I was infinitely younger than, believe it or not, than I even have now. And, and so, uh, and one of the things they had was like, we're going to carry mattresses up three flights of steps. And so you have a bunch of people who are, you know, they just hate life anyways, and it's like two guys are carrying up a mattress. They're like single mattresses. I'm throwing three on my head, going, I'm singing praise songs as I'm walking up the steps. And at the end of the night, I'm like, oh, Lord, please fix my back. But the whole day, I'm like, praise. And people are like, stop it, you're making us look bad. And I'm like, look it, I'm doing it for Jesus. And because I'm doing it for Jesus, I want to do it the best I can. Now, that doesn't mean I did everything, right? And that doesn't mean check me out, I'm awesome. I just want you to know I take this stuff seriously. And that's even with this. I want to be the best pastor that I can be. Now, whether that's the best pastor you've ever had, that's up to you. But for me, I want to be the best pastor that I can be. So when I stand before the Lord, I know I didn't slack. I didn't know the Lord goes, you know, you had other things and you, 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 you lacked. But I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do that. And then he lays out 14 things from which can be given. But let me remind you in preface of this, and we'll go through these relatively quick, because we have to. Where did they get them again? Ultimately from God, what vehicle did he use? Egypt. Can I remind you of that? It isn't like they had a little gold collection at their house that they've been handing down from generation to generation for four and a half centuries. They got it from the Egyptians on the way out. Are you with me on that? So the Lord says, here's the offerings. Are you ready? Verse 3. And this is the offering which you shall give from them. First thing is gold. You go, ah, oh, there's God. He wants my money. How come he just doesn't want it to be your boss? And here's my question to start with. Gold. How does a slave get gold and what does it look like when it comes from Egypt? If an Egyptian had gold, what would it look like? Do you think they had a bunch of coins lying around? I tend not to think so. Because when I look at Egypt and I look at what God says about gold, it tends to be in the shape of two things. One is jewelry, which happens to be ritual jewelry, which means you wore it to do something to worship a god, or the god you worshipped. Throughout Scripture, God makes that clear. And the last time God used gold was in Exodus 20 when He said, You shall not make gods of silver and gold. You kind of get the idea. It says in Psalm 118 or 115.4, that idols are made of silver and gold and they're the works of men's hands. It says the same thing in Isaiah 30, 22 when it says you defile the place because you've covered it, all your graven images with silver and gold. Isaiah 40, verse 19, Jeremiah 10, 4, Ezekiel 16, all of this when he speaks of gold, all tends to be it's the object of worship. So imagine you're like, I'm going to be leaving now. I know things have been rough since that first plague and they've gotten worse. So I'm going to be leaving. You're speaking to an Egyptian. So, so if you really want to you know, give me anything, that would be cool. And some Egyptian reaches out and grabs the gods that aren't working for him anyways. 
And he says, take these things, they haven't worked for me anyways. And yet you've been walking through the wilderness for three months with idols. You get it? And we know that part of it's jewelry, because Aaron's going to tell the people when Moses is up there, well, if you guys really want a God to worship, we'll go ahead and break off those earrings in your ears. And they break off the earrings, and it's gold, and he forms from that gold a cow. We don't call it the purple calf, we call it the golden calf. People worship gold. And understand, when God says, look it, give me your gold, and they go, oh, don't go near my gold. I know you. Why don't you have a cattle on a thousand hills? Sell your cows. And God goes, get rid of your cow. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's gold. Because in the end of it all, if you're going to tell God he can't get near your money, why? Do you really think that's going to scare God off? Do you really think you're going to fool God with that? Can I just say, it's just the, well, it's just the beginning. And then he says silver. Now, ultimately, what's going to be? This, this gold is going to be shaped into angels that face each other on a mercy seat that's going to be covered in blood. And God's going to say, that's where I'm going to meet you is right there. And I'm going to use gold as a symbol of your faith because when it's pure, you can see through it. What was that? Then he goes to Silver. I find this interesting. When I look at silver, God shows us that, for instance, in Genesis 20, verse 16, when Abimelech actually gives a thousand pieces of silver for himself because he actually didn't know that a man and his wife were actually a man and his wife because he had been told it was his sister. And he says, this, this vindicates me. Then I look at them giving 20 shekels for Joseph, if you remember, to sell him to slavery. But of all the people in Scripture that have the highest price, do you know who has the, gets the highest price in Scripture? Samson. Because to Delilah, they give 1,100 pieces of silver. And then I think, well, wait a minute, though. Giving silver for a person, well, that takes me right to Jesus. Because didn't they give him 30 pieces of silver as had been prophesied to, to betray him? And I realize silver always seems to speak about the price of a man. But then I look at Egypt. Does Egypt, what does Egypt do with their silver? Do you remember when the 12 boys, the, before they became the 12 tribes of Israel, well, they were roughly becoming so, they came and, and Joseph was being reconciled to his brothers ultimately. And he wants to get his youngest brother, his full brother, Benjamin. And he leaves something in his sack. Do you remember what it was? was a silver cup. And when they bring it back, Joseph says the weirdest thing. He says, don't you know I used that silver cup for, does anyone remember? Divination, he says. See, the Egyptians used their silver bowls to fortune tell. So you went and you, got, you said to the Egyptians, I'm leaving, and they gave you silver. What did you do with it? Well, we used to go and check our astrology through this. We used to go and check our fortunes through this, but it doesn't mean anything to us now. Could you see why that's such a big deal? And then brass. And as God develops brass, we'll see throughout it, it's used in its simplest sense for protection. It's what they used to build shields out of. It's what they lined walls with. God will line his walls with gold. And I look at this and God goes, this is what I want for this. And I start thinking in my first category of these, there's the things that are my priority, things that I hold valuable. Here's my question to you. What do you hold valuable? 
Because let me remind you, God wants to dwell among you. And if God wants to dwell among you, shouldn't He be the most valuable thing? Moving on to our next category. We are introduced to words blue and purple. Do you know they haven't been in Scripture until now? Interesting. When I look at Egypt, blue was the color of a priest. That's the clothes he wore. Purple was the color of a king. As of Esther 8.15, we read that Mordecai was given the king's robe of purple. Ezekiel was, says that the captains and rulers were given that from the king in 23.6. Daniel actually gets one because he can interpret the king's dreams and he gets the king's, dream of, he gets the king's coat of purple in Daniel 5.16. And then I go, well, wait a minute though. Interesting, because when I look at Jesus and I see him in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark 15, as they beat him, they cover him in a coat of purple. Do you remember that? A king's robe. And I realize in the end of it all, I see these, these people that are exalted, scarlet thread or fine linen. It was Joshua 2.8 that I can't, be, can't forget was the scarlet thread of faith that Rahab the, pro- the prostitute had left out her window so that her house or her household wouldn't be destroyed. But it was Jesus who wore a scarlet robe as well in Matthew 27. And I realized in my second area, how is my personal evaluation? And my first would be my priority and expenses. And my second is my personal evaluations. How do I see people? Because understand, this is what God says. And, he, and understand, in God's opinion, the most valuable thing is you. You know that. The most valuable thing is you. And God is looking at you. But here's the problem. Because when you tell God, I want to be at the center of your camp. I want to be at the middle. One of the excuses we use is, but that person. If I do that, that person will leave me. That person will think I'm not cute anymore. That person will, will diss me now. That person won't, I won't be popular anymore. Who's the real king? Who's the real priest? Because when you do that stuff, you make yourself the king and priest that Jesus is supposed to be. What would you do with a purple robe now? Or purple linen? What would you do with a blue robe or blue linen now? Dress up like Superman and run around your house? Or would it be that you'd say, well, when we get established, I'm going to be king? Isn't that what his disciples did? Jesus's? And the Lord's like, can I, can I look at, I want, to, I want to live in you. I want to dwell in you. But there are some things that are there at the moment that need to be moved out. You have a, a room and it's full of clutter. It's full of clutter. But you know that there's someone that you really love and you want them to move into your home. And that home, that room is just full of clutter. And it's like, well, they can't live and the clutter live there. The clutter needs to come out. And if the clutter comes out, that person would happily stay there because now they have the room for it. And the Lord looks and he's going, I'm looking in your heart right now and there's a lot of clutter. There's stuff in there right now and I'd really like to move it out. You're so busy trying to get money. You're so busy trying to be important. You're so busy trying to be liked. You're so busy trying to make your name for something. There's no room for me to live there. You're shoving me in a closet. I, I, I don't want to be that. Understand, this is all because what the Lord wants. And here's the strange thing. That surrender that you give willfully and with your heart becomes His tabernacle. 
the very things you surrender, all of a sudden the Lord takes that space and he glorifies himself there. This book of Exodus will end with the tabernacle being erected and God, glow, and God showing up in a very big one. In other words, by the time we're done with Exodus, God will have what he wants. He will come to live among his people. And that's what we have for the rest of the book. So my question to you and to me, well, what about this? Am I in a place today where I could say, all right, Lord, I know that in the end of it all, you have to be the most important person in my life, not me. This is not about self-esteem. It's about God-esteem. This isn't about loving myself. It's about loving you. And this is what I've learned. When I have God-esteem, I stop freaking out about me anyways. It's not about how important I am. I know how important I am. Let me tell you how important I am. Jesus died on the cross for me. That's how important I am. I'm God's favorite. So are you. Can I get more important by anyone else? Do you think I could actually stand before God and say, well, Jesus died for me to redeem me, but also this person thinks I'm pretty cool. Do you really think it's going to mean anything to God? Do you really think the Father's going to go, oh, well, that makes, whoa, whoa, Peter, step aside, give this guy the keys. You really think so? In the end of it all, you are so valuable that only one person in the universe could afford you and it cost them everything. How much more valuable can you be than that? Do you really want to take a vote among fickle people like yourself? Read the book of Acts. He's a God one moment, they're stoning you the next. You should learn from that. Dear I say, any of you remember Hootie and the Blowfish? See, some of you aren't old enough. Some of you, it was like, in America, they were like, the, the, like, every song they released was a number one song in two weeks. Like, then they released an album and they're like, Hootie, what? Who? We put the who in Hootie and the Blowfish. And it's like, and it's like, you remember all those bands that were so popular that all of a sudden people are like, who? What? And those are people that had millions of people buying something. They have multi-platinum albums. That means there are millions of people who bought this stuff. And where are they now? That guy singing country. Pray for him. Anyways. Let's move on. We're moving towards this now. And then he goes from there. Okay, I kind of get the idea. Look at all those precious things. Precious metals. That's awesome. Beautiful linen. Egypt, Egypt is known for its linen even to this day. And then he goes, and give me some like goat skin. And ram skin dyed red. And badger skins. And you're like, what? I'm not getting that. It's interesting, the last time I saw goat hair, by the way, at least as sort of an item, it was in Genesis 27 when a boy put it on the back of his neck and the back of his arms to deceive his dad because his dad would actually think it was his hairy brother. Does that sound familiar? I think that's interesting because this is going to be curtains now. And then in 1 Samuel 19, when David's wife recognizes David is fleeing and they want to come to kill him, she takes an idol, puts it in the bed and covers it in goat hair. No, that tells me that David might have been a little hairy, at least on the top of his head. Interesting, by number seven, 13 different times it'll be called a sin offering, these goats. And the last time I see goats mentioned in Scripture for what it's worth, in Hebrews 10.4, it says it was impossible that the blood of goats, of bulls and goats, could take away sins. And I say the first thing I see here is this covering that really looks like a hairy person. This will be the beginning of the outside of the tent, by the way. Three layers. The second are ram skins dyed red. Interesting. Is where the goats were for a sin offering. 
Seven, thir- Twelve times, by the way, we'll see in number seven, it'll be a burnt offering with a ram. But in Exodus 29, where God makes it clear, he calls the ram the ram of consecration. It's what sets you apart. Dyed red. Much like a sacrificed ram. And that's our layer two. And then we get our layer three, and this is the fun one, right? Badger skins. Badgers. We don't need to show you no stinking badgers. The term is tachash. Can you say tachash? I'll try it again. Come on, it's Hebrew. You can't go tachash. Tachash. Tachash is a word, and you know what it means? No one really knows. That's the best part about it. The Talmud says it's a kosher one-horned animal with a colorful skin. In other words, it's like a unicorn on Skittles. That's kind of the idea they think. Then there are other guys, for instance, like Slipkin, who, by the way, thinks it's a giraffe. What do we know about it in Scripture so we can be solid on it? What we know in Scripture is this, that it's used as the outside of the tabernacle, tends to be waterproof, and according to Ezekiel, by the way, 16, they used it to make sandals. Now, having been with the Bedouins in the Negev Desert, I asked them about this and asked them, well, let me, can, you ask, can you tell me a little bit about this whole Tachash thing? Now, they speak a bit of an, of an Arabic dialect, and it's interesting. They have the word Tachash, very similar, and that is this thing, and it's sort of this marine animal that they use that really is almost the same color as your skin, but it's waterproof, as you would expect any skin to be from something that lives in the water. Otherwise, that would be really rough. And, and they take these things, and they're rather large. They, they look kind of like really, really chubby seals or sea elephants. Kind of those bigger norwals without the horns. And then they take these things, and they actually still trade them to this day because they use them as anything where they need something to be waterproof. Now, I think that's interesting, because what I looked at then, is I looked at something that had one layer, and that first layer was for, like, that's used, the thing that symbolizes a sin offering, and then I look at the layer beyond that, and that layer was for consecration, and the layer that beyond that looked like human skin, which is a really weird thing to where we're going to walk into a tent that looks like human skin, where God's going to meet us. Or is that not weird at all? Because in John 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word, right? And okay, the thing. And okay, and logos, and logos, prostum techum, katheos, and logos. And then it says that that Word was manifest and dwelt among us. Now, interesting, because the Word dwelt there, for what it's worth, literally means tented or tabernacled. Interesting. That when Jesus came to earth, God said, He actually tented among us. And what did he look like? He was covered in skin, but underneath that skin was consecration. And underneath that consecration was a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was going to pay for all mankind. And God says, meet me there. We'll dwell together. Is that okay? Because I want to dwell among you. I want to walk among you. And if I can walk among you, here's the skin I want you to wrap me in. I go, oh, I guess I kind of get it. And you're waterproof. All right, now follow me on this. As I move from this, then the last, the few things I have to pick up at the end of all of this. But can I just say this? Listen, listen, listen. When I get to this issue about the tabernacle, the last time I see that tabernacle, remember, and the whole idea of that, by the way, for what it's worth, the word there is skenaho, and skenaho or skenaho, it all depends on how you pronounce your, your Greek, but the idea of that's the word, the tabernacle. The last time I see it is, listen to this, listen, Revelation 21, 1, where it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, 
John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God will be with them and will be their God. By the end of the book, guess what? God gets what He wants. In the beginning, God walked with man in Genesis 1 and 2. Man sinned. God says, well, if we're going to meet together again, it's going to have to be in a place of sacrifice and we need to be wrapped in skin for this to happen. But I want to meet you there. But it's a place of sacrifice. It's going to be a bloody place. We're going to have a whole book that's covered in blood. We're going to call it Leviticus. And in all of that, that's necessary. But ultimately, I want a tabernacle among you. Then the word tabernacles, Jesus walks, God in the flesh walks among the people. And that's why something like the whole situation in Caesarea Philippi becomes so crazy because he's walking while people are bowing to idols. And he looks at them and goes, who do, who do men say that I am? And they're like, well, some say you're like Elijah, God of power, like the people who are worshiping that idol. Or some say you're like the, the God of compassion and love, like that idol that we've been worshiping, like Jeremiah. And I realized that the people who were bowing, here's God stepping over people, worshiping rocks that God himself made. And you well, God's walking around among them and they don't even notice. And here, God dwells among them. He's like, this is what I want. Well, what did it take? It took the cross because beyond that skin was a consecration. And beyond that consecration was the reason why because it was about a sin offering. And God himself paid that sin offering on the cross so that ultimately as we surrender to the gift of Jesus Christ, we get what God wants, which is that He wants to dwell among us. And at the end of the whole thing, what we end up with is, God says, I get to be your God, you get to be my people, and we get to be together like I always wanted. Do you get it? Last few things. And I won't develop them as much for the sake of time, but you kind of get the idea where we're going with this. Acacia wood, which, by the way, is a structure that is unyielding and unbendable, very, very strong, really important because you're going to be carrying really heavy items on poles made out of it as well, but it happens to be relatively light. Uh, and, and by the way, can I just say, in regards to these things, there's this issue of image. And so then it's like oil for light. We're going to need spices, which, by the way, don't miss that because when you've got spices here, remember how the people are like, we miss the spices? Funny, God says you took them with you. So spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense because God, by the way, really wants to make sure we can see where we're going and he really wants to make sure it's a place of prayer and a place of praise. Onyx stones, which are black stones, and stones to be set on the ephod and the breastplate. Because ultimately, a priest is going to show how he carries the, the intercession and the concerns and the sins of people to God and carries the love of God to people. For our ultimate high priest, as the book of Hebrews makes clear. And he says, so let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That's what I want. I just want to be with you. God wants to be with you so much he'd rather die than not be. God says, and we're not going to play this thing. We're not going to just have you make up what you think is going to be cute. I'm going to show it to you and I'm going to show it to you again and I'm going to show it to you again because you're going to know when we do this, we do it right. Now look, as we bring this to close, can I just ask you, beyond the, the sanctity of a room like this where we kind of know how to play our Christian games, where we know how to put on our Christian costumes and say our Christian lines and give our Christian greetings, look our Christian way, 
God wants a tabernacle in you. And if He wants to tabernacle in you now, you're going to be mobile. The variable, please hear me, the variable is not who lives in the tent. The variable is where the tent is going to go. And, and in this room right now, God is about to send you out. Well, can I just say it this way? God is about to go camping. You're his tent. And he's going to go to some pretty amazing places. Some places that, make it, that are silly to pitch a tent, that we make those choices. Some places that are wise to pitch tents. But he never ceases to be in your tent just because you don't want him there. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, he comes and makes his home inside you from that point forward. And he says, can I have a little room here? There's some clutter here. Do you mind if I rearrange this room that's mine? And you're like, yeah, but don't touch. And God's like, but it's my house, not yours. God says, oh, I'm going to touch that thing. I'm going to play with your value system and get it right. Because right now you're actually going after things that really aren't valuable where you're going. Listen to that again. I want to change your priorities because I want to give you the priorities because right now you're valuing things that aren't valuable where you're going. Wouldn't it be awful if we were totally rich right here, right now, and stood before God and spent eternity as a pauper because we traded in what we could have eternally for what we could have now? Because that's clutter. That's what it is. It's just clutter. People, I'm not telling you hate everyone. I'm telling you the opposite. Put me first. You'll find yourself loving people. But here's the difference. You will actually genuinely love people out of a state of overflow instead of engaging people out of a state of need. You'll stop using people to fulfill you because you'll be fulfilled in me. So no longer will it be, this person completes me. You were supposed to complete me. You were supposed to fulfill me. Jesus does all of that so that when I actually can look at you, I can love you without pulling a string onto it. Aren't we tired of being played that way? Someone goes, I love you, bro. And you're like, what do you want? And we know that because that's what we would do if we were saying that. God says, it's clutter. Can I, can I move this out? Because I want to live here. I want to be at home here. I'd love it to be a place of praise. I'd love it to be a sweet-smelling place of prayer. I'd love it to be a place of light. I'd love it to be a place of anointing. I'd love it to be a place of celebration. Can we do that? As we go to prayer, friends, and we're about to embark next week, by the way, from the moment God starts, He doesn't say, now that we have this, let's start on the outside and work our way in. God says, because I want to dwell with you, the first thing I want to tell you about, because I can't even wait, is the place where I'm going to meet you. Do you kind of get the idea that God's excited about meeting with you? It isn't like God says, all right, look, when we get all of this done, let's just start with the outside stuff so you can't see the rest of the construction. We'll put some scaffolding up, and we'll say construction buying, you know, Bezalel and Ahaliab Limited. You know, none of that. He goes, let's get to the one thing where I can be with you. And can I just say that's the same right now. God doesn't want you to choose this tomorrow. He wants you to choose this right now. 
He wants you to make that choice today that any clutter, God's going to declutter. It's spring cleaning time, isn't it? We actually have the slowest, tiniest hint of spring for the first time since, I don't know, like last August. So, you know, we actually go, oh, there is a sun. And, and so take that for a moment and let the Lord just remind you it's time to spring clean. Because here's the crazy part. In the journey you're on, your clutter only slows you down and you're dragging things that only make it harder on your journey. He doesn't want that. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I would love today to give you the opportunity to say yes to the gift at the cross that paid for your sins and the joy of saying yes to the one who rose again who wants to be the Lord of your life and the architect of your reinvention. But if you have said yes to Jesus, could I just say, when we do say yes, we commit to saying yes for the rest of our lives. And that's yes to the declutter he wants to start with today. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful text. I thank you for what you've done, Lord, as you desire. Make me a sanctuary. And so, Lord, I just pray today that you would do that, that you would minister in this time. Lord, I pray today, right now, here, that you would not allow us in the sanctity of the moment, Lord, to just kind of play the, yeah, this will be good for the next 15 minutes and then we'll go back to the life we once knew. Lord, I pray right now that you would change that and make us people, Lord, whose tent radiates you everywhere we go. So with that in mind, Lord, I just pray right now, please have your way. Please powerfully minister. And with that, Lord, now I just pray, if there be any in this room who have yet to say yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, and if you're not sure, pray this prayer with me and you can be sure. I'm going to pray a prayer and as I do, I ask you to listen. And if you agree at the end, I ask you to give a resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. And here it is. God, I confess to you, I'm not perfect. You know better. I do too. I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. And you as a righteous judge have the right to punish all guilt. But in your perfect love for me, you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that all my guilt could be punished and yet that I could actually be given your innocence. Jesus' innocence was tempted in every way yet without sin. So I say yes. Yes to Jesus' gift, his payment for my wrong, and his resurrection to give me new life. So Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. And Father, adopt me now unto you and make your home in me, I pray. And make yourself at home in me as I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. And Lord, I just lift up now my brothers and sisters in this room and we just want to give you permission to declutter our lives. And Lord, where our priorities are wrong, Lord, where our elevation of humankind and even making ourselves more important than we should is wrong. It's clearly wrong. Lord, that which should be a place of praise and prayer and intimacy and light, celebration with You. 
Lord, those things that interfere with that, we give you permission today, Lord, to take those things and we willingly offer you them with our hearts and say, Lord, make our lives your sanctuary. As we just ask now for you to radiate through us in all that we do. Lord, even if we don't feel like we know how, even if we don't feel like we have every answer, we have the answer, Jesus. And if we keep our eyes on you and we make ourselves just available, Lord, we just know this, you will use this tent as your headquarters to do world-changing things through us. It's not that we are the person we are. We're not the occupant. We are the tent. And so, Lord, we just pray, Jesus, as you make yourself at home in us, that you would use us now to touch the world. We pray for Sarah and the girls heading to Brazil, that you would radiate through their tents. We pray for us as we seek to glorify you in London, that you would radiate through our tents. We pray, Lord, for Jenny as she's in France, that you would radiate with the team, that you would radiate through their tents. We pray for Charlene and Deluc as they're in Italy, that you would radiate through their tents. We pray, Lord, for Achille and Michael, Lord, that you would so manifest yourself before them that as they surrender to you, that you would radiate through their tents. For only you will do, Jesus. And we say yes to you now in your name. Amen.